RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. football and what is it going to look like will we have fans at tiger stadium will there even be tailgating around the stadium or are we going to play only conference games who knows because here's the reality we don't know what's going to happen with college football because of covid19 welcome to the latest edition episode if you will of the rap game podcast i'm your host raymond parsha third better known as rp3 and to help break it all down talking college football on this episode, talking LSU Tigers, talking recruiting is my old friend. You love him. You know him from RP3 and company. It's the one and only Jarrett Rozier from TigerDetails.com. Jarrett, good day to you, brother. How you doing? Hey, man. Uh, appreciate you having me talk about some of this because uh, I think overall, just like you and everybody else, I'm trying to figure out what the heck this fall and overall school and sports year is going to look like because no one has a great handle as, as everything continues to develop. It's absolutely surreal right now, man. It, it just it, it just is. I mean, I remember just thinking the last couple of years, you and I both went to Dallas when LSU opened up the season two years ago. The Joe Burrow era started with that win against Miami, remember? And we are just like, oh, and I just think about it. And that was, you know, less than two years ago. It'll be two years ago labor day weekend that that occurred and there's a good possibility that there'll be no more neutral site games there's a good possibility that lsu won't even have any non-conference games this year it just seems that the college football world as a whole is going to be forever kind of change altered than the one that we've been accustomed covering for years now yeah there's no doubt i mean we're sitting in in kind of the media workspace in mid-January, getting ready to cover that national championship game in the Superdome, and then right about two months later, I mean, things had started popping up within that two-month span, and then everything really shut down right about two months after that. And I think when a lot of this started, we knew that there were some issues arising with coronavirus, but even as, you know, something that's become relevant again this week when the Ivy League canceled its this postseason basketball tournament uh, for for conference honors, I don't think we realized how much it was going to escalate in those next couple of days uh, to the point where basketball and everything else was brought to a screeching halt nationwide. And then at that point, I don't think we realized that we'd still be talking about this in mid-July, wondering if there would even be a football season. And obviously the Ivy League just canceled its fall slate and uh, some of the power fives are, are figuring themselves out. So it's, I mean, the pandemic since early on in this year has felt like a, a really bad episode of Black Mirror, and it just continued to drag on. And here's the other thing, Jared, is this. You know, when all this started, I remember being on the air going, well, they're not going to cancel March Madness. They're not going to cancel the NCAA tournament. There's way too much money. And then the NCAA not only canceled – the NCAA tournaments for both men's and women's basketball, they canceled winter sports. They canceled all of spring sports. But even after that, in the NBA season, put got put on pause because of Rudy Gobert testing positive there 
for the Utah Jazz, even when we were dealing with that and having to, say, work from home and, and quarantine and going through phase one and then entering phase two, it still felt, for me personally, but college football and pro football, we're going to be good that we're going to figure this out. We're going to flatten the curve. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, we're going to have to sacrifice these sports right now. Yes, it's going to be surreal. Yes, 2020 is going to be a year like none other. But you know what? They're going to have this figured out. We're going to figure this out, and we're going to have football in the fall. And maybe that was naive of me and irresponsible of me to have that mindset. But now that we're here and we're past 4th of July and now we're having conferences like the Big Ten confirm that they're going to a conference-only schedule and reports have Pac-12 and ACC are going to follow suit and the SEC is going to meet here in a few days possibly discussing that same thing. Now we're talking about not only having the season reduced but what the fan experience is going to be like. I just man it just it kind of turned on a dime in in a lot of ways and just now I can't help but be negative about this and, and think are we even going to have college football at all in the fall? Yeah, I, I'm right there with you that, I mean, when things were first occurring in in mid-March, I was telling someone this the other day, I I think I more quickly than, than some people here recognize the potential severity of the situation because I work so much with international students uh, at, at LSU during the week with, with one of my jobs that is, is with a company that helps recruit international students to come to the United States to study. And so I'd seen what had happened in China for the previous couple of months and knew that this was potentially very serious. Um, and even with that kind of background, at that point, I'm looking at flight prices dropping and I'm thinking, you know what, we're going to figure this out. China's been working on this for as long as they have. It's now starting to pop up in the U.S., and we're attempting to address it. And I'm looking at cheap flights for June that I'm figuring, you know what, this will be cleared up by June. I'm going to take advantage of some low flight uh, flight prices, put some insurance on it just in case it drags out a little bit longer than I'm anticipating. And I really thought that things would be completely back to normal by mid-June. And as we realized that was not going to be the case. I still felt like we were going to figure out a way to have some football this fall and that it might look a little bit different, but we're still very optimistic. And I think that I still have some of that cautious optimism, but that as we get deeper and deeper into the summer and realize how limited a lot of aspects of the sports world still are and how uncertain the future is and how quickly we've seen things develop and and take turns for the worst throughout this, um, including, again, in in Louisiana uh, more recently, that I, I more realistically think that we're going to have issues than I thought was the case even two or three weeks ago, that, that I, I start to feel like I start to feel less and less optimistic and, and realize that the, the positive hope maybe is just some optimism that I'm hanging on to and, and not as firmly rooted um, in reality as as what it felt like it was just a few weeks ago. For me, a big turning point for me where I went, uh uh-oh, two things. I kept holding out hope about SEC media days, and I know that's silly to say, just to say uh, say it aloud, but I knew some of the other conferences were being more proactive and making the announcement 
hey, we don't know when we're going to do it, but we're going to go virtual. And the SEC kind of was was holding out. Greg Sankey even said so. You know, we're, we're still exploring. There were reports that the SEC offices were reaching out to members of the media nationwide to see if they would come to the SEC media days. And then they make the decision to go, you know what, we're going to go virtual as well at a later date. And I was like, uh-oh. Because if anyone's going to force the issue and try to buck the trend and go against the grain and do what they want and execute however they want to execute their game plan, it would be the SEC. And when that happened, that caught my attention, uh, Jarrett. And the other thing was when teams started reporting back, when football teams started reporting to campuses nationwide, then you started having testing, which in positive results, which you expected. It happened at Alabama. It happened at University of Houston. It happened at Oklahoma State. And then it happened at LSU because they went to Tigerland. And let's just be straight here for a second. 30 players did not get COVID-19. 30 players were quarantined. That does not mean that all of them got COVID-19. I just want to make sure we put that out there because a lot of misinformation kind of flooded uh, social media after that. But when that happened, I was like, uh uh-oh. I was like, there's no way that they're going to be able to control this. Like the NBA has set it up to have bubble cities, right? And they're going to try to control it as much as they can, but they're still dependent on Disney World to provide employees to do cleaning the rooms and providing food and everything like that. So there's still, it's not 100% foolproof. But when that happened, I was like, how are these colleges going to kind of secure safety for their football team how are you going to prevent them from going out at night how are you going to prevent them from interacting with other people i just don't see how that's a possibility jared i just don't yeah yeah and i agree and think you make a lot of really good points um part of it is that we still have a lot of disagreement on or differing levels of reaction with regards to how seriously uh, different people are taking it um, and taking the circumstances. And some people are being extremely cautious um, to a point where you could say that that potentially they're being they're taking more precaution than would even be necessary to to be safe. And I, I as much as some people on the flip side of that might criticize that, I I kind of fall in that line of thinking with what does it hurt to take extra precaution right now when we're trying to get things back to normal. But you do have people on the flip side that, that still kind of are having trouble taking some of this seriously. And I think some locker rooms are going to be split along those lines, too, where some people potentially don't. The the severity of it doesn't necessarily completely land, and, and you're dealing with a lot of 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old young men who are not going to like the idea of being boxed into to basic basically quarantine and practice and quarantine and practice uh, to, to try and be safe. And when you're talking about all of these teams of college students in different cities that are going to have to play each other, even if you do make some adjustments like the Big Ten has started to do, um, you're still looking at those teams from different cities and different states that at, at some point each week are planning to come together. And as soon as a couple of, of cases pop up, then next thing you know, the, the threat there is is huge to spread, I think much more so than necessarily uh, the bubble. There's still going to be some contact with 
um, with other folks around them, whether family, friends, girlfriends, whatever, and and then you're dealing with with that that added bit of uncertainty in all of those different locations and bringing those people together um, once a week as opposed to the bubble where they, they have that much more control that, that you, you just can't have in this college football um, scenario. And as soon as, as soon as one or two pop up, the same way we saw with the NBA, everything's going to have to come to some sort of a hold or you're going to have to figure out some other way to proceed that's either that stoppage or coming to terms with the fact that you're leaving other people at risk, um, which becomes a really, really tricky place to, to be, to, to be making that sort of decision, um, particularly when you're dealing with big institutions trying to run it and having a lot of young student-athletes being the ones at risk. Should they just go with a conference schedule and push the season back into October? Because LSU could just simply do that. You would simply move the Ole Miss game a week back if you could uh, and to take the place of the Nichols game. Is that something that you think the SEC and LSU should do just to be proactive, Jarrett? I have a difficult time saying. I mean, I I was telling some high school coaches this recently. We were kind of on the same page that we're we're thankful that we don't have to be the ones making these decisions because true there are <laughs> there are so many people, um, so many people's well beings come into play, and I'm I'm glad. Um, that they don't pay me the big bucks that they pay the folks that are having to make some of those some of those decisions. Um, I, I think for me, my attitude throughout has been, I just hope that everyone can recognize the seriousness of the situation and listen to the people that do have the most information. Um, you know, particularly in the the scientific and, and medical side of things, and and just follow what is going to be the safest course of action in that regard. Um, I, I know that the Power Five conferences are, much like the Big Ten has already announced, they're, they're looking at some of those options, and and I, I hope that they make the right decisions with the information that they have because as much as there is a lot of money at play and as much as some of these or all of these Power Five conferences have, uh, they might not have quite the same level of control as what the NBA is about to have within that bubble. They certainly have more control than a lot of their counterparts in smaller conferences. And I, I hope that they find the safest way to proceed, whatever that may be, and, and don't prioritize uh, the financial piece um, or pure entertainment over people's well-being. But, and, I, and I hope that they involve... Uh, student-athletes and student-athletes' families somewhat and, and continue to listen to some of those voices and, and hear what they have to say, too, um, and, and don't try and push things without that kind of that kind of input from, from the people that are going to be on the field on Saturdays. Jared, do you think we're going to have more vocal college athletes, uh, college football players in particular? Because we're seeing this with the NBA where certain stars are speaking up is this the right time to even play? And then others saying, you know what, I'm not going to risk it going to the bubble. It doesn't benefit me, whether it's for reasons of entering free agency or their own health or maybe someone associated with them health, you know, someone with health issues in their family. 
We're seeing them be vocal about this. We're seeing it with Major League Baseball as well, where they're being vocal as well. Some of them not opting to play in this uh, shortened season for Major League Baseball for their own reasons. Uh, do you think we're going to possibly see that in college football uh, as we get closer and closer to the start of the season? I, I think we will see some student-athletes um, in, in college football be vocal in that same way. I don't know if we'll see it to the same degree. Uh, I, I have seen a couple of athletes start posting some comments and thoughts. There was a, a, an athlete at Arizona that last week posted about just not wanting to feel like a school was forcing him to play during this. And so that's, that's part of why I say I, I hope that some of that input is being considered um, from the student athletes that will be the folks out there that are, are at risk of contracting it and potentially passing it on to their families and, and coaches and people around them. Um, I don't know that we'll see the same degree though. Just, I, I think a lot of these guys really do want to play. Um, and I think, just the nature of them being younger and being still student athletes, we've seen less um, less of a, I guess, speaking up or, or platform in that way than you're used to seeing with some professional athletes through the years. But I think right now, particularly considering the way things have gone in this year with, with some of the social justice and civil rights issues we've seen, a more of a push for people, including college athletes, to speak up more and speak their mind on what they think on certain issues. And I think that seeing some of those professional athletes in the NBA and in Major League Baseball speak up on this issue in particular, that that will kind of set a precedent that more of these athletes at the college level may feel more comfortable. I, again, I still don't know that it'll be to the same degree, but I, I think we'll continue to hear some around the country uh, voice those concerns and it's hope that that they're not kind of forced to do things against uh, against what they and their family feel is in their best health interest and if, if they feel comfortable playing then great and hopefully they get that chance we all certainly want to watch them play uh, but if if they do feel uneasy about it um, and, and have those health concerns then I hope that, that they're allowed to take that as seriously as, as they can and, and do what they feel is best for them and their families. Jared, I started thinking about this, kind of daydreaming about this. You know, we look at college football and we see things kind of in, in trends and teams that are on the rise. And we saw LSU two years ago with Joe Burrow quarterback. They finally kind of hit their stride offensively about, I guess, you know, really past the halfway point of the season. And they started to really kind of click as a unit they had a great season, 10 wins, uh, won the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl over uh, defending national champion UCF. <clears throat> um, <laughs> and then they, they, they carried that over with strong recruiting, and then Joe Burrow and teamed up with Joe Brady, and the offense it went through the stratosphere. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a breakout season. Many people you know, said that he, you could argue that he could be one of the team MVPs and what he was able to do for this program. So we, we know LSU has to replace a lot, but they were still going to be predicted to be in the mix. And Georgia has been there, you know, a perennial top five team. And we know Clemson and Alabama are always in the mix and Oklahoma. Could COVID and its impact on college football disrupt 
who's at the top, who's who's been the perennial powerhouse, like an Alabama, like a Clemson. Now LSU has ascended to the top. Oklahoma's always in the mix. Could this change that, or could this just allow those teams that have been at the top and that are year in, year out winning the recruiting wars and year in, year out winning 10, 11, 12 games, will that continue just to be the same because they're more equipped to maybe dealing with these kind of things? Yeah, I think more the latter. Um, I, I think that there's certainly some teams that coming off of this past season looked at this fall and felt better than others about just where they were, knowing they were returning a lot from already good teams and being able to be kind of a step ahead of of some of their competitors heading in. And, and so they might they might lose some of that advantage to start the season because we're having such a long layoff um, and, and teams are missing out on – have missed out on some of that spring and, and summer has been so weird. But I think ultimately the teams that are – or have been at the top of college football have been primarily the teams that are best equipped uh, to, to handle this in terms of facilities and support staffs and, and everything of that nature. And so I think as long as you have teams like Alabama and Clemson and Oklahoma and LSU and Georgia and company that are, are all so well situated in, in so many ways, and uh, and and, and oh, we can't forget Ohio State. They're always in the mix as well. Yeah, yeah. Ohio State. Um, you're looking at teams that are very well set up in terms of not just their coaching staff, but everyone else around the program that helps to to make things run the way they do, and the facility piece and the financial support and, and all of those aspects. And so I think that they will continue to be there. Um, I think we've seen if you just look with with LSU they were a team that what occurred in the fall of 2020 was going to be interesting just because so many guys that were such a key piece of that historic run in 2019 and into this January uh, headed off for the NFL including those those guys you mentioned and, and Joe and Clyde being two of the five first round picks I think that LSU was a team that was going to be interesting um, to, to try and shake back from some of those losses, but I think they were going to continue to surprise some people because they do have a lot of those other pieces in place and, and they still remain a very talented team. And so I thought they were going to be in competition for the playoffs and you've seen their status help them in these bizarre recruiting times where you're not having the opportunity to go out and recruit high school students in person and they're not having the opportunity to come to your campus and see more and so they have to rely on what they've seen from either visits that they were able to sneak in under the wire uh, before everything shut down or from what they've seen on television and know from name brands and stuff like that and and that's why you see a lot of those same teams still right there up at the top of the recruiting rankings um, continuing to set themselves up for the future Um, so I think a lot of those teams remain the the kind of elite even through a lot of this. Um, and really, I'm, I'm interested to see how some of the, the more mid, mid-major sort of thing, the, the group of five schools and, and smaller conferences, um, how those institutions handle some of this in general when they lose out on, on anything that they've lost out on, um, whether that be we see an impact on the season, in the fall and 
not able to have games at all or they're not getting paid to go play some of those big power fives or if it's a matter of the fan bases have have to be a little bit more tight with with some of their finances because they've taken some hits with different job interruptions and things like that um, and, and what some of the the impacts are we've, we've already seen some schools um, disband different smaller sport teams and if this continues to drag on I wonder how much more of that uh, impact we're going to see from the financial side on on some of those other schools that uh, are not as well situated because you're looking at if if we have a football season impact impacted billions of dollars uh, coming in to play that that are potentially lost for uh, for college athletics so it it's going to be really interesting to see some of the ripple effects of whatever uh, whatever we've already encountered to this point and certainly whatever uh, comes in these coming months I'm glad you brought that up brother because obviously right in our backyard here is the UL Raging Cajuns and Look, they, they're, they're a group of five team, one of the better group of five teams. They play in the Sun Belt Conference, and the, the Sun Belt Conference and those teams in it depend on playing some of those what we call old-school money games, right, where they get a 800000 to a $1 million payout to go play a team. And, and the Raging Cajuns are set to play at Missouri in November, and that could have been a great way of making a statement by beating a Power 5 team to maybe imp- uh, improve their resume on the season. And I do wonder about that because those teams that are in the group of five conferences, and we're not even talking about the FCS teams, which are even more dependent on that kind of money, but your teams from Conference USA and conference from uh, teams from the Sun Belt, rather, in the American, in the MAC, they use that money that they get by playing those games that they're projected to lose. And they use that money to not only fund the football team, but the other teams for the athletic department for their school. And I just wonder now, moving forward, go go past this year, and let's say they just go to non-conference scheduling and how that's going to affect. We don't know how that's going to look. But I do wonder if Power 5 conferences are going to get to the point where they're just going to move away from that, where they're just going to say, you know what? We're just going to focus on the conference schedule. Maybe we'll beef up and add an additional game, and we'll play other Power 5 teams doing one-on-ones, and we're not going to play those teams from the lesser conferences. I, I fear that's going to widen the divide between the Power Five programs, which is going to be, of course, SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, and, and, and Big 12, and the group of five schools. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm worried about that as well, um, what the, the long-term ramifications are from from the financial piece and, and what that means for for, as you mentioned, potentially a, a widening divide. I was trying to explain some of that to my brother yesterday, who was a couple years younger than me and graduated from Southeastern. And as we were talking about kind of just our concerns for everything uh, right now, currently, just overall, and then with sports in particular, as we get closer to the fall, and he mentioned, yeah, you know, I know Southeastern without being able to go play some of those games. And I, I kind of, paused him and said you realize it's not just you're not just talking about southeastern you're not just talking about um mcneese or nickel like you're literally talking about everyone else in the state um other than lsu taking some of those type of games and everyone is going to feel financial hit even some of those 
big schools that we mentioned as, as being among the elites in, in terms of how they're set up. And so I, I really worry about how that plays out. Uh, I think that depending on how this fall goes, that you will see the possibility of, of some of those things being carried forward. Um, just as, as we hopefully navigate some sort of football season this fall, uh, people will take some kind of pros and cons from, from every change and compare it to, to what they were used to and in, in the actual normal before whatever becomes the new normal. And, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out beyond just this year. And as, as someone that really enjoys not just the, the power five conferences and enjoy seeing uh, the competition across the country at, at all levels and enjoy seeing those opportunities there for the student athletes coming out of high school to go play not only football, but whatever sport uh, at a lot of these, a lot of these schools of, of all levels around, around the country and, and to continue their education on top of the athletic career it, it really concerns me to see that that was kind of my initial reaction when I saw some of the the programs that I I would have probably never really seen them actually compete start to uh, close. I started looking at different Louisiana athletes that had maybe earned a scholarship opportunity to go play soccer at Cincinnati or baseball at Bowling Green or whatever the case, and, and was saddened by the, the potential of those opportunities not being there for some of those uh, young men and women moving forward. So it's, it's definitely strange times. Uh, and, and every question seems to, as soon as you try to find an answer, you uncover six more questions and <laughs> just end up kind of throwing your hands up and saying, man, I don't know what the heck tomorrow holds, let alone two months from now. And just hope we, we figure something out and, um, can, can find some positivity and, and minimize some of the, the negative impacts. The not knowing is the worst part. I mean, if take away take away having someone in your family or yourself being affected by getting COVID nineteen. Okay, that's that's that, that that's one thing, right? The but the worst part about this as a sports fan or even as a sports reporter is we don't know. Like we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. Like I, I feel Jared that I would feel I would be less anxious and I, I would feel better about it if. They came out and said, okay, this is what we're going to do come hell or high water. We have no football in the fall. I would be mad. I would be upset. I would be possibly depressed by it. But at least then I could be like, okay, I, I, I'm not going to have that. And now I can uh, resign in myself. I'm not going to have college football to cover. I'm not going to have college football to report on. But the fact that it's so fluid, I think it's causing more anxiety that I don't know is the worst part of this, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I think there's something to that just that can – continued anxiety and inability to to plan much of every of much of anything because of how quickly things change i think if you look at for any of us and then most importantly for uh for student athletes the the mental health aspect of sports in general i think is something that gets overlooked quite a bit and it comes into play so heavily when there's any disruption uh, usually we're looking at injuries or retirements or, or something of that nature that's a, that's a huge a huge deal that I think we don't always see quite the depth of that issue um, for these young men and women or even as, as they get older and are professional it, it remains an issue and so right now 
everything for everyone in this country seems to be so up in the air that it's just a constant source of uncertainty and anxiety. And at the same time, as much as you try to hold out that optimism that we we still have not canceled college football season and high school football season and, and all these other fall sports seasons, and, and so you hold on to some optimism there, it also kind of stalls some of your opportunity to cope with that loss effectively because you're still holding on to that hope and it it stunts the opportunity to try to plan, okay, so what now? What are we going to do instead of this? Because right now all or the vast majority of, of mine have to be focused on how can we make this work and try and salvage it because it is such a big deal. Uh, it, it just leaves you kind of hamstrung on, on how to proceed otherwise because you're trying to make plans with so many variables still at play that are so far out of your control, and it's really tough for uh, for for everyone. And certainly coaches and, and athletes are folks that are used to finding a way to control as much as they possibly can and thrive on that. And they know there's going to be some things that, that are out of out of their hands, but uh, never before have we seen this much be out of all of our hands uh, in terms of how to proceed at, at any given moment. Jared, the one thing that really hasn't I've been surprised by hasn't really been affected by all this, or at least not overwhelmingly negatively affected, has been recruiting. The the, the teams, it's it's seemingly that college football teams, and LSU in particular has done a great job at this, they've been able to pivot and adapt to how to recruit during this time of no in-home visits, no coming to your school and visiting you and talking to your coach, no you coming to campus and getting the pomp and circumstance of having the tour and you know putting on the jersey and having yourself put on you know the, the scoreboard and the whole nine yards that we've all known recruiting being credit these college programs because they have seemingly have adjusted on the fly and have done so well and so have the kids this is your bread and butter this is what you do for a living or your main side hustle so to speak with tiger details brother uh why is that why has the recruiting why have they been able to adapt so well when it comes to recruiting as we all deal with covid19 in college football so i i think a couple of pieces to that are particularly when you look at the the higher level of college programs in terms of the resources that they have at their disposal, that those, those programs have a lot going on in terms of virtual and digital resources that they're able to, to put more energy into and utilize those to their advantage. Um, and, and certainly at the same time, most of those schools are the schools that have some of the the bigger name recognition to begin with because of having those tools. And and so you see programs that student-athletes are pretty familiar with already and maybe have an edge in that regard, then also have the opportunity to to kind of repurpose those tools and and use those in a way that enables them to resonate more with the the student-athletes under these strange circumstances where they can't chat in person. Uh, I think that the way that recruiting has built out so early into a student athlete's high school career now compared to in the past where we've kind of 
talked about some of the the negatives at times and people have, have been quick to criticize when when a young athlete gets a scholarship offer at 14 or 15, potentially before they have played varsity ball at, at their high school and and kind of just a struggle from a fan side or at times media side to see it work out in advance that far. But because of that, this class of 2021 that is currently being recruited has been trying to weigh through their options in a lot of cases much ahead of COVID coming into play. And it's not the case for for all of these athletes. And, and those are some of the, the athletes that I really worry about an interruption for for their senior season, the, the folks that are were going to be kind of late evals, so to speak, and didn't get their spring and aren't getting the, the summer sessions. And so they're still waiting on those offers. But a lot of athletes have had those offers from – earlier in their careers or were on the radars earlier in in their careers and so they've been thinking about it and, and been weighing some of those options already and um, that's been helpful but at the same time honestly talking to a lot of these student athletes as much as you're still seeing a lot of commitments happen I think you do see some of the COVID impact in terms of particularly when you talk to them a little bit more off the record if it's guys that you know there is a level of anxiety there that they haven't had a chance to take some visits that they hope to get through before senior season started. Um, there's a level of anxiety of when that could happen. I, I know some guys that ideally would have liked to have been committed by now but didn't feel comfortable doing so yet because they didn't get a chance to take those visits quite yet, and so they're still kind of holding out hope that some things are going to clear up and they can get back to to some normalcy in the recruiting trail. Um in these these next couple of months, and I think you're seeing some of these commitments. Guys feel a level of anxiety and and make their move on a commitment uh, earlier than they may have wanted to, at least earlier in the sense of not having as much information as as they would have hoped. But they feel pressured by the fact that there's so much uncertainty around them, and that they have been kind of um, kind of cooped up in in the houses and not not being able to get out there and, and start to feel a level of anxiety and pressure. And, and so they make a move. And, and so it's, it's been kind of interesting to see some of those impacts that at face value aren't as obvious, but as you talk to some of these guys about where they are with their decision, uh, you start to hear a little bit more of that in their voice and kind of the way that they're working through some of the information in their head. Jared, you know, we, we've been talking just how COVID is affecting college football and all the uncertainty around the fall, and, and we've covered a lot of things. But it seems like, man, we're way down. We got we don't have that positivity that we need for this podcast. So let's let, let, let's let's talk happy thoughts, man. Let's talk. Let's uh, let, let's let's bring the happiness to it here. Uh, let, let's say we're going to have a season. Let's just assume that we're going to have a season, and let's say we, we're there. What are you looking forward to seeing on just uh, not only let, let's start off with LSU. What are you looking forward to seeing from LSU, whether that's position battles, whether what the defense is going to look like, making the switch from Miranda to Polini, uh, what may be dealing with being on the mountaintop and defending that throne. What are some of the things, uh, storylines, or just what you're wanting to see, uh, excited to see rather, concerning the LSU football program if they do play in the fall? Yeah, I think any of the, the new faces that are going to step up into some of those huge shoes that are now off in the NFL, and you'll look with 
But I was Miles Brennan on the offensive side, having to finally get his opportunity uh, now that, that Joe Burrow's gone. And I mean, what a what a huge challenge that is for him to come come into and, and try and follow up arguably the the greatest college quarterback season that we've seen. I mean, one that's that's in that that top ten type conversation with with some other greats through the years. Um, but really all over the place. Um, there's going to be there's going to be some guys that have to, to step up. The running backs right there, some of the receivers uh, with with Justin Jefferson gone. Um, all over the place. There's going to be new faces that are called upon, and I, I think are probably more ready to rise to that occasion than people realize at at this point. And so, I feel like that LSU season that is as critical as some people outside of it have been because of the major losses and talk about this being a big step back, I think they're going to be right up there as a, a double-digit win potential team again and surprise some people uh, and really kind of solidify themselves as a consistent uh, playoff threat when this was considered by some as, as potentially a, a step back before having to rebuild a little bit. I think they're going to they're gonna show that a step back is still a step back to a pretty strong place. Uh, so I think that's going to be a lot of fun. For me, yeah, look, I, I want to see what Miles Brennan does. And I'll, I'll say this. The kid stuck it out. He could have left. He, he could have. A lot of other guys at his same position at that same school have left in the last three to four years. He stuck it out. And by all reports, he's a good kid. They respect him. His teammates respect him. And is he going to put up Joe Burrow numbers? No. Uh, I, I, you can't expect anyone to put up that kind of numbers. We're talking historic numbers. But I wouldn't be surprised if Miles Brennan goes out there and is all SEC quarterback and throws for 3,800 yards and or 4,000 yards and you know throws for 35 touchdowns or 38 touchdowns. That normally would be a tremendous award-winning season. But coming right after Joe Burrow, people are going to look at it as a letdown. Smart people won't look at it as a letdown. You and I. That's what I'm talking about here, Jared. You and I. Smart people <laughs> won't look at it as a But I'm interested in that. You know, I'm also interested to see – What's going to be Derek Stingley Jr.'s encore? He had an absolutely phenomenal freshman season. Lived up to the hype. The first guy for me at LSU that lived up to the hype and delivered on the field since Patrick Peterson. Leonard Fournette would be in the mix, but I think Stingley had a better freshman season, more of an impact than maybe Fournette did. And that's not fair to Leonard because the offense that he played in under Les Miles. I want to see what Derek Stingley Jr. does for an encore, and I've been hearing nothing but phenomenal things about the Lafayette product, the former Northside High Notre Dame of Crowley star who's dealt with weight issues, who's dealt with grades, has got those things under control, should have received all-conference honors last year. He didn't, but I want to see what Tyler Shelvin's going to do under the guidance of Bo Pelini in that defense. He could be an absolute monster. It, under Bo Pelini? I would not be surprised if you see Tyler Shelvin turn himself into a first-round draft pick. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I think both those guys you mentioned on defense are going to be a lot of fun to watch this year uh, because I think we've seen from from midway through his high school career, and I mean really probably a little bit farther. I didn't get a chance to start knowing him until midway through his high school career, but, but Tyler Shelvin's always had a ton of potential, and he went through some of those different things that, that you mentioned really seemed like he had finally – started to put it all together uh, last year and, and take over that role in the middle of that defensive front. And I think 
there is a lot of optimism and, and a lot of reason to support that optimism that, that he could be a fantastic, I mean, among the best at his position in the SEC and, and establish himself as, as a very high draft pick. If you didn't mention where he could end up being drafted, uh, I was going to chime in and say that he, he was going to be pretty highly drafted, but I think he could end up sneaking into that first round depending on how his next campaign goes. And with Sting, as much as he had success last year, he has been – this is so scary for opposing wide receivers, but he has been so focused this offseason on the instances where – Things didn't go well. Uh, there was a little stretch of that Florida game and then some moments in the Alabama game that people were kind of critical about him despite having such a phenomenal freshman season and just the nature of, of who he is and kind of the way his mind works. He has been fixated on those and fixing any issues that he ran into this first season uh, out there for him and, and just continuing to get better and perfect his craft. And so I do think that we're going to see – an excellent sophomore campaign from from him when he gets back out there. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be perfect because it never is, particularly at cornerback position. You're, you're going to get beat here and there, but he was pretty dang good as a freshman, and I think he's going to be even better uh, this year and, and be in that conversation among the best corners in, in the entire country uh, as a sophomore. Other things I want to pay attention to regarding the SEC is – there's been a couple of narratives that have developed since last year. And I'll, I don't trust them. And I, I'm just, look, I'm a little bit older, and I just, people love forming these narratives about coaches and about college programs. And I just don't get it. I, we saw it firsthand with Coach O because two years ago when he arrived at SEC Media Days, he was the coach on the hot seat that everyone thought was going to get fired. And then he ends up winning 10 games, and then a year later he wins a national championship. The couple of the narratives that I keep hearing, Jarrett, is one, Nick Saban and Alabama are done. It's over. They're going to be washed up, and now they're going to be finishing third in the SEC West year in and year out. That's one that I, I just don't quite buy because Nick Saban is ultra competitive and a complete taskmaster, and anytime he's had defeats and anytime he's been embarrassed, he rebounds and adjusts. He always does that. That's one of the storylines. The other storyline is everyone feels like Kirby Smart is less miles now, and he hasn't even been at Georgia all that long, but yet they already are considering him to be less miles, a guy that's stubborn and won't change, and uh, that Georgia's never going to get over the top, even though they're what a couple, they're what one touchdown throw away to winning a national championship a couple years ago, if it wasn't for Tua at Alabama, and the other one is. Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M still having all this momentum, still having this buzz, even though since he's been there, they've been, let's just be honest, mediocre. What do you make of those kind of narratives that have been developing for, let's say, just all year? Yeah, I am not writing off any Nick Saban team as as not being able to compete at, at as high a level as, as anyone in the country. Uh, some things certainly set up well for for LSU this past year in, in the head-to-head matchup, and there were some, some areas that Alabama was not as as strong in and was a little bit more vulnerable in that, that cost them a couple of times this past year. But, shoot, heading into that, that last week of the regular season, people were still looking at the potential of Alabama slipping into 
the playoff yeah. conversation if, if things fell correct away. So I think, um, and you compared Kirby Smart to to Les Miles. I think I go back to the the little Mark Twain quote that I forever now just associate with Les Miles because of the way he delivered it. But the you know the reports of Alabama's demise are, are probably pretty exaggerated at at this point. And I think similarly. Georgia has come as close as they've come, and they continue to recruit at a great level. And I think writing them off with how well they've established themselves as one of those top handful or so of teams year in, year out, I think you have to continue to, to worry about them uh, as, as another SEC team or as another Power 5 team, that, that they're going to be there for, for the foreseeable future. And so I despite the fact that, that both those teams came up shorter of where they would have liked to have been last year, uh, I don't think that they're necessarily going anywhere. And then Texas A&M continues to be so weird. I mean, even before, even before Jimbo got there, it was, it was difficult to get a read on them at times because they were a notable name brand. They would recruit some, some pretty strong classes. Um, and you've seen them continue to be a force on the, recruiting trail and, and be in that mix where they're competing with LSU, Bama, and, and Georgia as well as anybody for, for some of these top prospects from around the Southeast. Uh, but they have not panned out on the field under Jimbo quite the same way that the hype has built them to be. And so I keep waiting to see, are they going to break through and, and finally have that year that, that people keep waiting for from Jimbo or have we seen kind of what they are going to be year in and year out where they're a quality team but has some flaws and can't quite catch up to uh, the, the top tier of the conference. I tell you, a team that I really like this year and may be crazy, I don't know. I just really like Florida. I just – Dan Mullen, year three, they have some nice pieces there. And it's not going to be it's not going to be easy for them by any stretch of the imagination. We'll have to see, especially with how their schedule is going to change with everything going on. But – I don't know. I feel like Florida could be uh, could be sneaky, but they're going to have to figure out a way to beat Georgia. Yeah, I I think as much as as much as people talk about Georgia and Alabama and and now LSU and and Texas A&M gets a lot of attention just because I feel like anything that happens in Texas, a lot of people beat their chest about. But Florida has been right there in in the top ten more years than not of late a little bit more quietly than A&M. And we've seen Tennessee do really well on the recruiting trail, uh, particularly this season, but even before this past season, they, they kind of established themselves as, as they were trying to build some things and it, it didn't really play out, but they, they became such a, a hot topic at times of, of could they do some big things and came out of the gates really slowly last year. Meanwhile, Florida just kind of chugging along, um, being a problem for, for some of these other top SEC schools. And, and that is going to be one that I think we need to watch in this next season. And I think is always going to be the biggest threat there to, to Georgia as established as Georgia has become. And as much as Tennessee is kind of trying to, to push themselves back up into to where they were back in the nineties the and into the early two thousands, Florida is situated there in such a, a talent rich state in Florida where Florida State's kind of struggled and uh, you've seen UCF have some success at times. You've seen U- U- uh, SF have some success here and there. Miami has 
has tried to come back but hasn't really gotten itself all the way together. And so Florida is, is really well situated as the only SEC school down there in that state, uh, particularly with the other Power Fives, struggling a little bit. And, and just the opportunity is there for them to continue to be the biggest possible thorn in, in Georgia's side in the East and uh, potentially overtake them at some point. But that that matchup uh, between those two uh, up there, that, that rivalry matchup, is, is always going to be a hugely pivotal game in the SEC East race, uh, if not straight up determinant. Wrapping things up here with Jared Rozier, TigerDetails.com, recruiting analyst, reporter, a man who also has his own uh, – look, you, you, you work – there at the university you have your work for tigerdetails.com brother tell the people who are listening that may not be aware i don't know who those would be about your other endeavor which is all about state pride against everyone else tell the people about it my man yeah so when i had left nola.com and the Times Picayune originally i i had the opportunity to work with some of the international students sort of fall into my lap and when those conversations were happening I made a point that I was not trying to leave sports, and so I, I wanted to know that I would have the flexibility to stay involved. And initially was trying to figure out what that would look like because I knew it was going to be a tough juggle, and so I tried to keep as much of it on my own schedule terms as possible. And I've had this idea, Louisiana versus all y'all, as, as kind of a, a slogan for a long time, and so I started a little site at that point, datboot.com, and Louisiana versus all y'all was just kind of a, a slogan for it, and I was using that as a, an outlet for me to write in-depth features on athletes kind of at my own pace. And then I made a shirt for myself, and it kind of – things started to blow up, and so I started to sell a lot of Louisiana versus all y'all shirts. And then – I'm still waiting for my double was... X to come in the mail, Jared. I'm just saying. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, we, we got to get you one for sure. And I've got some, <laughs> some color options. I'll, I'll get you a, a red and white one if, if that works better to wear around Lafayette. Oh, there you go. There you go. Fit in with the, the Cajuns fans. Um, but I just finally, with all this extra time during the furlough, launched what Andrew Lopez kind of shook his head and said, this is like three years overdue. I launched the Louisiana vs. All Y'all channel on YouTube that allows me to do a lot more interviews with guys that aren't necessarily going to end up at, at LSU. I just kind of continue to talk to folks all around the state about their experiences and their opportunities and, and whatnot. It's very, it's very sports heavy, but not just athletes, um, not just head coaches, talking to some, some media, talking to some strength coaches, trainers, um, and trying to open it up as, as I build upon it and just try and keep it laid back and, and have an opportunity for, for people to tell their story and, and for other people to get a chance to, to learn more about some of the folks around them doing some great things for high school and college athletics and, um, and beyond. And uh, look, you're doing great things, brother. Proud of you, man. I mean, you just you've you, you come a long way, my friend, since uh, your early years there <laughs> in uh, Monroe at the New Star, and you killed it there, and you just worked your way up. Uh, I remember we tried to hire you at the Town Talk back in the day, and you had bigger and, and brighter things in your future, and you're absolutely killing it, my friend. Uh, proud of you, man. Really, I am. I I appreciate that quite a bit when I was um when I was finishing up as a student reporter at LSU and was doing some work for for the Gannett newspapers and mostly working with with Randy and you guys up in in Alexandria I and I found out that there might be an opportunity to have a job I was 
super excited about that potential and it just didn't pan out. There wasn't the, the space there to bring me up. And so thankfully I got to, to land in Monroe and fun row, baby fun row. <laughs> yeah. Still work with you guys uh, in, you know, in the, in the Gannett family and, and meet you up there uh, in Monroe and meet a lot of great people during my couple of years up there. And, and then worked my way back South with, what I thought was going to be the opportunity that I was looking for my entire life to work for the Times Picayune and Noah as, as a sports reporter, and things just kind of continued to to develop and, and go their their own way. And so it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I'm I'm thankful for for all the opportunities and all the relationships I've had a chance to to make through these years with with guys like you and Randy and Brett and everyone I worked with up there and in Monroe and all the the athletes and coaches and families and, and everybody around the state. Next time we have you on, man, we'll have to have uh, maybe a little bit of a, a rated R podcast, and you can tell us all about your uh, <laughs> travels going coast to coast, living that uh, that 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 lifestyle of yours, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. I, I'd love to get some more of that travel back in. I, I really thought I was going to be on the road right now, but because of everything going on, I'm um, kind of scaled it back, just trying to be more safe and and hopefully we get back to normal soon and i am able to take some more of those trips and tell you all kinds of nonsense oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) brother appreciate your time as always keep up the great work hey for all you listening here on the podcast jared is moving to a new time on rp3 and company he's moving it to next week that's right every wednesday morning at 7 30 a new segment, Louisiana versus All Y'all with Jarrett Roger will debut. We're going to talk all things recruiting with LSU, UL, and Acadiana High School athletes. Excited about that change to the schedule, brother, and can't wait to talk to you next week, my friend. That's going to do it for this episode of the Rap Game Podcast. Well, thanks once again to Jarrett Roser from TigerDetails.com for coming on, talking to us all things college football, recruiting, COVID-19, and what the future may hold or may not hold. Until next time, y'all be safe out there. Be kind to one another. We'll talk to you then. I'm out.